0: Welcome to the Writer's Block Party Podcast, with your hosts Meredith Bond and Prue Warren, where they discuss every aspect of a writer's life, from the craft of writing and editing, through publishing and marketing, and finally, into building a global publishing empire. Here is Mary and Prue.
1: Hello, welcome to the Writer's Block Party podcast. I am the less experienced of our pair. I am Prue Warren, and I'm very glad to be here with the more experienced of our pair.
2: Hi, I am Meredith Bond, and I am looking forward to our discussion today, Prue.
1: Me too, me too, because I'm sitting behind a tower, tower of books. What we wanted to talk about today was what makes for a great opening. And I'm particularly interested in this because of my history as a fundraising copywriter where I was given two pages or sometimes on a good day, four, (laughs) to make a case that would force you, you just couldn't resist. You had to write a check and send it in to save the world in whatever way was offered you. The critical thing about being a fundraising copywriter when you only have two pages or maybe four is you have to write a lead that is so slippery that the reader falls into the story without even realizing. You get this moment of, well, what's the first? I'll see what you're talking about. And you get drawn in before you even realize it. It's a lead that's so slippery and so good that the words disappear into the concept where you, where you stop thinking that you're, you're reading words and all of a sudden you're in another world. I think that that has made me quite sensitive to good leads in a story. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: I, have, I have thoughts on it, but, uh, but tell, me, tell me what you think. What makes for a good lead? What makes for a good opening?
2: Yeah, absolutely something that's catchy. And it's interesting because there are certain ideas, certain concepts that we're all taught should be at the beginning of your book. So your first sentence should just capture the reader. So they don't want to to put it down. We're told that we should start with action. We're told that we should ground the reader in the place, in the setting, in the time period if it's not contemporary. And we're we're told that by the end of the first chapter, uh, the story question should
1: be established. Oh God, the story question. You've just you're just given me the fussiness. Is this like theme again? No, no. The, the story
2: question is the question that needs to be answered by the end of the
1: book. I see. Okay. Okay. So this is in a romance, this is inner and outer desires.
2: Yeah. So what, exactly. What, what's the problem? What, what's the bigger problem? I mean, with a romance, a lot of the time, the story question is, will they end up together? And of course, you know, yes, they will because it's a romance. Right. But how the, the for romance it, it can also be, you know, will she be happy with her billion dollar home or will it totally destroy her life?
1: Right. 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 One of the things you and I have talked about is uh is how let's see, how do I phrase this? How writing has changed over time, that the omniscient voice is no longer used as much, and now we have the direct POV of a character. Mm-hmm. Pride and Prejudice was written so that an author was looking down on the scene and reporting on it. Whereas, shit, what's current? Fifty Shades of Grey is written from the point of view of one of the characters and is much more personal. Right. I've been looking at my, my, t- my stack of 15 books and I think I can see very clearly that the reader's attention span has changed over the last 50 years. We'll say 50, because obviously it's a digital enhancement. There are leads to great stories in front of me that would not pass muster today.
2: Yeah, I completely am sure that you're right. No, no.
1: All right, I'm going to read Although you. it's very interesting, before
2: you get into that, I was recently reading a blog post, I think it was on Writer Unboxed, on about who uh, an author read... Like five New York Times bestsellers, because not because they were New York Times bestsellers, but because they were books that she was actually interested in. Uh-huh. And she compared the beginnings of each of those books with all of these standard things that I just listed off for you that we're taught should be there. And she said almost none of them had those things at the beginning. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. But they still worked. Why? Because the authors were fantastic writers.
1: (laughs) Well, you get sucked in. You can get sucked in. Because a lot of the books, like I've got Outlander in front of me, which has the most boring lead in the world and is now a worldwide phenomenon. So the question is, I don't know, is there a, there's no, like it is for everything else, there's no hard and fast rules for openings. Exactly. But I I do think there
2: there are hard and fast rules, but that doesn't mean that you have to follow them. (laughs)
1: Right, right, right. Quite a few of these books have very dull leads that do not in any way indicate what you're what you're in for. So you have to trust that someone will get through your boring lead to get to the good stuff. But it would be faster if you skip the boring lead entirely. Let me give you an example. Yeah. From 1950. This I'm going I'm not gonna tell you the lead of this one because you'll know it in two seconds. Once there were four children whose names were Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. This story is about something that happened to them when they were sent away from London during the war because of the air raids. They were sent to the house of an old professor who lived in the heart of the country, ten miles from the nearest railway station and two miles from the nearest post office. That's the a pretty dumb the witch lead. In the wardrobe. The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. That's the beginning of the Narnia Chronicles, if you read them in book order and not chronological order. I was quite nerdy about that in my youth. That's that's exactly one one of my favorite books too, but that's not a lead that lets you know what you're getting into. That is not a lead that sings to you of fawns and white witches and talking lions. And you don't get it from the lead at all.
2: No, and you don't get any characters. You I mean, you you're given names, but right. that's it. You know nothing about these children.
1: Right. right. It's quite antiseptic.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You yeah, are hard. grounded though. You are, you are grounded
1: in the in the setting. But my thought to you is that I think the grounding is inaccurate because it's telling you that we're going to a country manor outside of London. And that is not where we're going. <laughs> well,
2: but they are in a country manor outside of London. It's just that it leads to another world. But, you know, that that's part of the story.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not. I I think that when I fell into those books in my childhood, I fell really hard. But I think that these days, people who are used to digital, a digital world where things move much faster, I think that's a tough lead.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: So I wonder if they hadn't made some fairly indifferent movies. I mean, are little girls in third grade still picking up the line the witch in the wardrobe and continuing to to dive into them? I just wonder. I just wonder because that's a lead that's a little harder to get through. You've got to get through at least a chapter of sitting in dusty spaces, you know, hiding from the tour group that's coming through before you get to the magic. Yeah. And I wonder what's happening to sales because of the world in which you flip on your phone and there's a world of magic that comes up, you know, with a touch of an app. So I'm just wondering. It's a good question. So I guess my first thought is for authors to be aware that we live in a world that moves very fast.
2: Yeah. And that's why action is so important and good in at the beginning of a story because it pulls you right in. Immediately, you are involved in something exciting. Let me ask you this, because
1: I I heard about this a lot when I first began writing romances, and I it sort of faded, I guess, maybe as indie publishing has arisen. There used to be the premise that your first 500 words were what was going to get you a, uh, a traditional contract. You sent your first 500 words out, or you pitched with your first 500 words, and some publisher would come along and say, Eureka, you know, the next Nora Roberts, you're in. So authors spent the majority of their time polishing the first 500 words to such a high gloss that the book could not live up to it. <laughs> Do you think that's still happening? Do you think that's still true?
2: No, I don't. Because as you say, with self-publishing, people are not worrying about that. They're not yeah. worrying about, you know, impressing some editor in New York, but they yeah. are in. Imp- they are i would hope concerned with impressing the reader because right. think about it if a reader is is browsing through amazon they're getting the first couple of pages in the look inside feature and those first few pages need to be spectacular
1: you're right you're exactly right that's a very good point that's a very good point there's a there was a book that came out last year That had, oh God, it was something about Havana. It had a beautiful cover. (laughs) And I did the look inside and the first chapter was magnificent. It was so luminous. And I bought the book gleefully, just happy as I could be. And the whole rest of the book could not live up to that first chapter.
2: Mm, There you go.
1: When we lived in Havana, I hope I don't insult someone. (laughs) They're not listening. Believe me, they're not listening. (laughs) Um. Anyway, that first the first chapter was dazzling, dazzling. Okay, here's a book from 2012 which I've mentioned before and I love. It's Cressley Cole's book Poison Princess which begins her Arcana Chronicles, which is fantasy. Mm. This is the prologue. Day 246 AF, Requiem, Tennessee, foothills of the Smoky Mountains. She's so lovely, so fragile. Those haunted eyes, those rosebud lips they'd scream so prettily, <laughs> right? That's just the first, that's just the first sentence. Like what the hell is going on here? So I just, I think that that is a more modern lead where when you read it, you're like, what are you talking about? So there you go.
2: That, that almost that's sounds a like a horror book.
1: Yes. Well, yes, yes, actually it's kind of brilliant because all these all these teens get occult powers, and this is this is a guy who lures in women and uh, very very slowly kills them. It is a horror, but the woman he lures in has her own occult powers, and he gets more than he bargains for. So there's this wonderful, you know, fuck you, yeah! <laughs> you think you me? Oh, it's very good. I like those books. I'm trying to think of which one is my oldest book on my stack. Mm. Uh, okay, well, the lead of The Hobbit really, I think, really does sort of tell you. I'm trying to find a, a date of publication for The Hobbit, 1937. So that's a little older. Here's the first paragraph of The Hobbit. And I think this does tell you what you're getting into. I think it does give you a flavor for what's happening. Mm-hmm. In a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit, not a nasty, dirty, wet hole filled with the ends of worms and an oozy smell nor yet a dry, bare, sandy hole with nothing in it to sit down on or to eat. It was a hobbit hole, and that meant comfort. Nice. That's a good. I think that's a good way in. And I think what he's done is implied a lot in just that little opening, that there are places in the world where there are oozy ends of worms. <laughs> Not nice. just worms, but the ends of worms, which is somehow even more disgusting. I think that's <laughs> a very good lead. I think that's really nice. I can tell you're looking up something, aren't you, Meredith? I am. I am. Because I am trying to figure out when. Okay. All right. I'm giving you another one. Yes. Chicago, April 1900. I'm not going to tell you the name of the book because you'll get it immediately. (laughs) 1900. we're, We're talking 120 years ago. There's no digital. And you can tell by this lead. Dorothy lived in the midst of the great Kansas prairies with Uncle Henry, who was a farmer, and Aunt Em, who was the farmer's wife, their house was small for the lumber to build. It had to be carried by a wagon many miles. There were four walls, a floor and a roof, which made one room. And this room contained a rusty looking cook stove, a cupboard for the dishes, a table, three or four chairs and the beds. So yeah. that's what we're taught in school. That's I'm, You're giving me the location. You're telling yeah. me about the place. But uh, that would not fly. I would not fly these days. Actually, I believe that The Lion, the Witch, uh, excuse me, The Wizard of Oz is not an often read book. No. I, think I was growing up in the 1960s. It was considered dusty and um, antique, even though the movie ruled our lives. I think the movie so surpassed the book that I don't think people even realize there's a book to go along with it.
2: Yes, I, I completely, I agree. And um, this book, that I was looking for was published 1953. Okay. The saloon, like every other room in Arnside House, was large and lofty and had been furnished possibly some 20 years earlier in what had then been the first style of elegance. I don't know what that is. It is Cotillion by Georgette Hare.
1: Oh, for heaven's sakes. Would you do me a favor and read it again? Because I was too busy focusing on what it was to listen. Tell me now.
2: The saloon, like every other room in Arnside House, was large and lofty and had been furnished possibly some 20 years earlier in what had been the first style of elegance. This, however, had become outmoded. And although the room bore no such signs of penury as a ragged carpet or patched curtains, the bright brocades had faded The paint on the paneled walls had cracked and the gilded picture frames had long since become tarnished. It's
1: heavenly. It's heavenly. The word saloon being used so differently in in our part of the world threw me off. Yeah, I I still would not have identified. I still wouldn't have identified cotillion, but I think that's lovely. But
2: again, it is not grabby. It It is merely a setting.
1: Yes, it is. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. All right, I'm going online. I need to do a little, here's what's, here's the modern version of whatever it is we're looking for.
2: I'm I'm pulling one up. Okay. (laughs) Here we go. Somewhere in Europe, July 1850, at 15, the spy called Saint hunkered down in the bottom of the wardrobe she'd occupied for the last four hours and attempted to stifle a yawn. Nice. Okay, that's just the first sentence. She didn't need to crack the door to know the activities in the bed across the room were still very much in progress. She could hear the courtesan urging her horse onward, the woman's demands punctuated <laughs> by the man's loud neighs. <laughs> What is that? That is Lord and Lady Spy by Shanna Galen.
1: That's fabulous. That's <laughs> fabulous. Uh, when was it written?
2: 2011.
1: 2011. Okay. 10
2: years, 12 years ago.
1: Well, but at the beginning of, I mean, the internet was, the internet was raging. You got to move faster. This is, exactly. I've got one for you. This is Riley Thorne and the Corpse in the Closet, which is by Lucy Score, one of my absolute favorites. I love uh, that title. Diff- oh, it's. It's really well written. It's really good. This was not how she was going to die, Riley decided. Not sitting on a concrete floor in a musty TV studio surrounded by idiots. The helmet-headed blonde on her right was muttering under her breath about lawsuits. On her left, Riley's ex-husband, Griffin Gentry, rocked in place and whimpered about the dry cleaning fees for his mohair suit. (laughs) So you know you're in for action, but also humor. Yes. And I that is a fast, zippy little lead that you gets you sucked in before you, before you even realize that, oh, you flipped 15, 20, 30 pages. You're 10 chapters in. It's time to go to sleep because you need work tomorrow. But what happens next? Right. I think that, that's a slippery lead.
2: That is. That is a very good lead. She had me laughing right there at the first sentence.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Yep. I think she's awesome. One
2: last one from me. Go ahead. Miss Alexia Terabotti was not enjoying her evening. (laughs) Private balls were never more than middling amusements for spinsters. And Miss Terabotti was not the kind of spinster who could garner even that much pleasure from the event. To put the pudding in the puff, she had retreated to the library, her favorite sanctuary in any house, only to happen upon an unexpected vampire
1: okay, now you got me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the heart of that lead is the word unexpected. Yes. It's not that she encountered a vampire. It's that she countered an unexpected vampire. That's exactly. that's the single word that lifts that from, oh, yeah, I like a library too. We're readers together. To, okay, now I've got to have it. What do you mean an unexpected vampire? That's yes. the, the money word. Uh, yes. Ex- and who is it? What book is that?
2: That is Soulless by Gail Carriger.
1: Oh, Gail Carriger, of whom we have spoken. Yes. Okay. Here's one from 2001, which became the TV series True Blood. Oh, this is yes. Dead Until Dark. And it's, this is just the opening, just one sentence. This is all you need. I had been waiting for the vampire for years. That's it. I think right there. Okay. Um, I'm in. I think that's a slippery lead.
2: I had been waiting for the vampire for years.
1: Yeah, I think think that's clever. I think that's clever. All right. I'm wondering if there's Secret Garden, Coffee Trader, Mickey Steve Fodder. Okay. What do you think of the Harry Potter lead? And let's, hang on, let's just take a moment and look at when it was first published. And it was before the internet, 1997. So it wasn't before the internet but we were not as quite as digital a world. Chapter Mm -hmm. one, the boy who lived. Mr. And Mrs. Dursley of number four Privet drive. were proud to say that they were perfectly normal. Thank you very much. They were the last people you'd expect to be involved in anything strange or mysterious because they just didn't hold with such nonsense. Yeah. But see, that's, Uh, that's grabby.
2: That That is very grabby because. Yeah. If, if they didn't if they didn't hold with such nonsense as anything unusual, that means that you are in for something
1: very unusual. Yeah. I think the, I think the, I think the juice of that is the thank you very much. I think it's that aggressive. We are aggressively normal. There's no, there's no wimpiness about this normality. We are aggressively normal. We're going to hold to it. Right. So I, I, I believe that were she writing today, she would open with magic. I believe that she would open with something that was more visual, more zippy. But but in a quiet way that is probably appealing in a children's book, she does create a grabby lead. There's mm-hmm. no doubt.
2: Okay. I do have one more, just okay, because good. this is a good one. Good, good. The following Thursday. <laughs> okay, that's good. I was. T- Talking to a woman in Ruskin court, and she said she's on a diet, Joyce said, finishing her glass of wine. She's 82. Walkers make you look fat, says Ron. It's the thin legs.
1: I'm sorry. Tell me what that was again. (laughs) (laughs) That's lovely.
2: That is The Man Who Died Twice by Richard Osman.
1: Um, Modern?
2: Yes. Old? Brand new. It was just, it was published last year.
1: Okay. Well, I think that is utterly charming. Yes. That would keep me reading. That would absolutely keep me reading. <clears throat> okay. The only
2: thing that bothers me about that book is that it's written in the present tense.
1: Oh, well, but if it's well-written, you should be able to fall into that.
2: Um, I was able to easily fall into it because I listened to it first as an audio book. Ah. Uh. And I could deal with it as an audio book. It bugged the hell out of me when I was reading it.
1: That interesting. I think that's very interesting. Okay, here's from 1911. And I think this is a painfully slow lead. This is actually, it's Frances Hodgson Burnett, The Secret Garden, which is one of the most fantastic books. books.
2: Fantastic book.
1: When Mary Lennox was sent to Misselthwaite Manor to live with her uncle, Everybody said she was the most disagreeable-looking child ever seen. It was true, too. She had a thin little face and a thin little body, thin light hair, and a sour expression. Her hair was yellow and her face was yellow because she'd been born in India and had always been ill in one way or another. Her father held a position under the English government and had always been busy and ill himself, and her mother had been a great beauty who cared only to go to parties and amuse herself with gay people. She had not wanted a little girl at all, and when Mary was born, she was handed over she handed her over to the care of an Aya, who was made to understand that if she wished to please the in she must keep the child out of sight as much as possible. That's a
2: good beginning.
1: I think it's slow.
2: I don't, because I don't think it's that slow. I mean, considering the time, I think yes. that is actually quite fast, because immediately we're not told about the setting. We're told about the child, our protagonist. And it gives a very important background
1: information about her. If it was a modern book, though, you would say that was an info dump. You should weave it into the rest of your story.
2: That is true. I I don't deny that. But if you just kept that first sentence or the, the first two sentences, you're fine.
1: Everyone said she was the most disagreeable looking child. She had a thin face, thin body, thin hair, and a sour expression.
2: Yes. That tells you so much about the protagonist.
1: Well, I definitely think you're right. And I think it's 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 a great lead for 1911. When I read that, it's like putting in the clutch. I have shifted gears into a different style of writing. I have shifted gears into a different time where we didn't grab 10 minutes, right, between podcasts and zoom meetings and i got to run to the grocery store and the delivery man is coming that's that's someone who sat down for an evening with a book to read right. peacefully and quietly like we all imagined everybody did <laughs> in the ago but does that mean that a modern writer can get away with it
2: yeah i don't know i Didn't honestly we- i don't know i think you could certainly get away with the first couple of sentences the description of her but um, I don't know if you could get away with the back the backstory right there, as you say.
1: Okay, let's just look at Amazon bestsellers. And let's just say, who is bestsellers in books, book that is number one in Amazon? Okay, I've got, uh, I went to Amazon uh, bestsellers romance. And on February 23rd, the bestseller was Colleen Hoover's Reminders of Him colon, a novel. So here's the lead to the current bestseller. Chapter one, Kenna. There's a small wooden cross staked into the ground on the side of the road with the date of his death written on it. It's a pretty Hmm. good lead. That is a pretty
2: good lead.
1: Scotty would hate it. I bet his mother put it there. Can you pull over? The driver slows down and brings the cab to a stop. I get out and walk back to where the cross is. I shake it side to side until the dirt loosens around it and then I pull it out of the ground. Did he die in this very spot or did he die in the road? <laughs> okay. I think that's a good lead.
2: That is a good
1: lead. So there's our entrance for 2022.
2: Or 2021.
1: Well, I, okay. Maybe it is 2021.
2: So I search for a uh, bestseller romances 2022. I get Fern Michaels.
1: Oh, what's her lead?
2: Wait, Fern Michaels. It's uh, no way out. A gripping novel of suspense is the title. And the lead is, Ellie Bowman knew that there were murmurs from the neighbors and cruel jokes from the kids on the next block, but it didn't matter. It had been two years since their 34-year-old had moved into the cottage at the end of the Birchwood Lane. She was happy that it was located where it was, as far away from the rest of the houses on the block as possible. With each house sitting on a full acre, there was a comfortable distance between them. The homes were modest ranch-style houses built in the fifties.
1: I'm not excited. Are you? I'm not drawn in yet. Just the just the mention of cruel whispers. That's the only thing that that does it. But 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 once again, it does put you in a style and rhythm of writing, like reading Francis Hodgson Burnett. That it, that's like putting in the clutch. Now you're in the mode that some readers really like
2: maybe but all it is is a setting once again yeah
1: all it is is a setting
2: and and it tells me in the subtitle that this is a gripping novel i'm
1: not gripped so far i'm not gripped <laughs> but we're very we're very particular you and i our standards are very high Very She's only high. Got the top selling novel of 2022 so so obviously we know more than she does <laughs> um, <laughs> all right so in summation ladies and gentlemen I think the answer is, you can use a style of writing that is more nostalgic, but it has to uh, it has to it has to match the style of the entire book. You can't write a lead that is slow if your book is fast. You can't write a lead that is funny if your book is grim. You can't write a lead that is witty if your book is scholarly. So pay attention. To what your lead is telling people, some people really do pick up the book and turn to page one. That's how they start. Some people don't. My mother used to start a book in the middle, and if she didn't like it, she wouldn't go back. People read in many different ways, but most people do flip to page one when they start. And in an ebook, it's very easy to flip to page one. When you buy your ebook, it's going to open it to page one. So make sure your lead is a proper indication of what is to come.
2: And also make sure that it is catchy because for a lot of readers, they will just do the, they'll just look at the look inside and on Amazon, read the first page or two and decide whether they want to buy it. But I think that your point was a very good one that the first couple of pages or the first chapter needs to, you have to live up to that with the rest of the book.
1: Yep. I absolutely think that's right. I think that's right. If your pacing is a little slower, your lead can be a little slower. Yes. If you are, if you are writing romantic suspense, get a little suspense in there to start with. Fulfill the promise of your cover in your lead and let your lead fulfill the promise of the book itself. Yes. Great wisdom. true. Great wisdom. <laughs> write it down, write it down and then circle it. Cause that will make it even more true. So, next week, having talked about what makes a good opening, let's talk about what makes a good ending.
2: That's brilliant. I love that. I think that'll be so much fun because what makes a great ending and the incredible importance of that?
1: Well, and I have several questions. I'm not going to ask them, I'm not going to ask them of you yet, but I have several questions. I think endings are very important, very interesting. I hope next week comes soon because I have a lot of questions.
2: And finally, I do want to remind all of our listeners Mm -hmm. to please, 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 please comment. Uh, Please, please rate us wherever you found this podcast. I think we haven't reminded our listeners of this recently, Pro, And we (laughs) really need to because we, we were growing for quite a while. And I think we've kind of stagnated. But I know that we have a lot of really passionate listeners,
1: Good. and if
2: our passionate listeners could be passionate to their friends about this podcast,
1: we would really appreciate it. <laughs> chat us up, chat us yes. up. Yes, let us have a blog date. Have someone, have someone uh, listen in.
2: <laughs> Tell everybody about this fantastic podcast that you are now
1: listening to. It could be our meet cute. So we can have (laughs) a happy hour after. Yes. (laughs) That's good. That's a good idea. Rate us, comment, get in touch with us, tell us what you're thinking, uh, and hugs and kisses. Absolutely. Oh, and tell us what you would like us to talk
2: about, because we're always searching for ideas.
1: Yes, we are. We're looking for things to talk about. Well, we can talk about a lot of things, but are they interesting to you is the question. <laughs> where, did, where did I leave my shoes? That's, that's a long and involved conversation, but possibly not as interesting as it could be. For the listener. <laughs> Meredith, I'll talk to you next week.
2: Thanks, Prue.
0: Okay, bye. That's it for the Writer's Block Party this week. We don't want you getting so drunk on knowledge that you can't drive your laptop safely. But next week we'll be here before you know it, so check out the website at thewritersblockpartypodcast.com. one word. That's where you can find our archive of past podcasts and a place where you can get in touch with Mary and Prue or ask questions for the next podcast. Write with joy, friends, and see you next week.